Jesus who makes this a glorious day, and He too is the reason for the season. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Today, we begin a series of messages for the month of December. These messages were first presented in 2016, right here at Calvary Bible Church. Our biggest need is for a Savior. Don't miss this fact as you celebrate Christmas. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. You know, Christmas is not for children. Christmas is for sinners. Thomas John Carlyle put it this way, A Christmas basket God brought that night and gently laid on our poor doorstep. He rang the bell but did not run away. Savior, is this hour's Christmas word, the simple workaday shepherds were told by an angel, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That is Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And when you think about that angelic statement of truth, when you think about that statement and the whole concept of a Savior, some implications flow out of that. Like, one, persons need saving. Two, persons can't save themselves. Three, better than what's now is possible in God's will. Four, someone is stronger and someone is wiser than us. Five, rescue is possible. Six, rescue is absolutely necessary. On this last point of implication, that rescue is absolutely necessary, Scripture uses words like perish and lake of fire and perdition and weeping and gnashing of teeth and the second death, and Sheol, the pit, and Hades. And Scripture uses the word hell and Gehenna, which is the burning garbage dump, and Abaddon, destruction. Because Scripture uses these words, it tells us that rescue is absolutely necessary for each one of us. Contrary to some liberal churches and liberal theologians, every day and every way we are not getting better and better. In fact, what is happening is the world is watching Fox News and CNN and making daisy chains while they're destined to go over the Grand Canyon of hell. We need a savior because the alternative is grim, very grim. Actually, the sad reality is the sincere and the tribesmen in the jungle who have never heard Christ's name and the so-called good people will be in hell if they don't accept and trust the only provided Savior. You have an argument with that. You have an argument with Jesus. For Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father 
but through me. Now, Jesus was either a liar, he knew that wasn't true and he said it, or he was a lunatic, he thought it was true, but it wasn't true, or he is Lord. His life and ministry, his miracles, his teaching, his fulfillment of prophecies all tell us emphatically, without any equivocation, that he is Lord. He is not a liar. He is not a lunatic. He is Lord. Is he your Lord? Friends, Savior is our Christmas word this morning. And if there was any way, if there is any other way to be saved from sin, why would God the Father have sent and sacrificed his son to offer a pass out of hell? Because there are no other ways. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It can't be the shedding of Guilty blood, it has to be the shedding of innocent blood. Jesus Christ fused humanity and deity so that he could have blood to shed and he could have innocent, righteous, holy blood to shed. Because Scripture tells us, as we said last week, that in both the Old and the New Testaments, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so we praise God this Christmas morning that he has provided once for all time an all-sufficient Savior And praise God that we who know the Savior by faith, we have the privilege of presenting and giving that same Savior to everyone we meet, are we? Everybody in the Bahamas is a Christian. Really? You think that? They may know religion. They may know the language of the church. They may believe in God, but the devil believes in God. And so because we have a Savior by personal faith, we have the privilege, but also, church, we have the responsibility of telling everyone we meet about this Savior who died for them and rose for them and wants to be their Savior from sin, and his blood can be applied to their sin debt to God. Do you tell people? Here's another thing. No one should have been surprised that God gave us an all-sufficient Savior. No one should have been surprised, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, whether it was the Old Testament or the New Testament. If you read the Bible, if you read the book carefully, intelligently, and simply, and take it at face value, you should not be surprised that God lovingly and graciously provided us a Savior. That's what the Old Testament says, and that's what the New Testament says. One of the most common Hebrew names for God in the Old Testament is Yahweh. The name appears a whopping 6,823 times. 6,823 times in the Old Testament, the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, appears. Do you know what it means? Yahweh stands for God being the eternal one, without beginning and without ending. Yahweh also means he's the active and self-existent one. It means that he is the covenant-keeping God. It means that he's the holy one who, by definition, hates Sin. That's what Yahweh means. But there's one other aspect of the name Yahweh and what it means. It means that Yahweh stands for God being sinner's redeemer. And 6,823 times in the Old Testament, people who read it and who read it still see that God is the provided Savior in God the Son, Jesus. Oh, yeah. No one should have been surprised that Yahweh would provide an all-sufficient Savior. Additionally, because the name Moses in Hebrew means one drawn out, and Joshua meant Yahweh is salvation, and Goel in the book of Ruth meant close relative who saves and rescues and redeems. 
And Elisha meant God is salvation. You're getting the point. There was many uh, reminders that Yahweh, Redeemer, Savior, God, had people in his service given names that reflected his saviorhood, his heart to save. It goes on. Isaiah meant salvation is of the Lord. Nehemiah meant Yahweh consoles. Job meant one who turns back to God. Hosea meant salvation. Nahum meant consolation. Zechariah meant Yahweh remembers. And in Hebrew, remembers doesn't mean tie a string around God's fingers so he won't forget. In Hebrew, remembers mean God's acts on behalf of people who can't act on behalf of themselves. Like Hannah, who could not have a baby. God remembered Hannah in her infertility, and God gave Hannah the baby Samuel as a miracle. And so the Old Testament student, the Old Testament casual reader, should have seen that salvation was on God's heart and that God would provide a Savior, Messiah. That was written on the wall of the Old Testament, and it was written in very large, bold letters. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I serve as the youth pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. And today we want to start off as we think of the month of December, as last week we talked about being busy during this time. And so many times we use the word Christmas. And as we think of Christmas, uh, we say we are in the Christmas season. But what if I had to tell you this morning that the Christmas season doesn't actually start until December 25th? You see, years ago, all the stuff we are doing now, shopping, present, decorating trees, parties, didn't even start until Christmas Eve. Again, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to crush your Christmas spirit, but I believe by rushing into Christmas season, we're actually missing out on something even more important. Did you know that not everyone celebrates Christmas on the same day? In the West, Christians celebrate Christmas Day on December 25th, but many continue celebrating through January the 5th, a day called Twelfth Night or Epiphany Eve. If you've ever heard the phrase, the 12 days of Christmas, and those 12 days it's talking about. And in countries like Russia and Georgia and Serbia, Egypt, Ethiopia, they celebrate Christmas Day on January the 6th. So the question may come to your mind is this. If this isn't the Christmas season, then what is it? We call it its Advent. The season of Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas Day. And it has a significant role on how we approach Christmas. The word Advent means the arrival of someone notable. It means someone important is on their way. So as we consider and we look at this and we think of Advent, we know that the person that we are looking forward to is Jesus Christ. You see, Advent is a season that we are reminded that we are not celebrating something, but someone. This difference matters because when you get ready to celebrate something, the preparation is usually all about you and what you're going to get from the experience. But when you get ready to celebrate someone, the preparation is about so much more than you. You see, as we consider Christmas and as we start this series on entitled Unwrap, as we unwrap this Advent season, we need to recognize that we are unwrapping the true gift of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it was told, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and on the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You see, we need to understand that this is who we're celebrating. We're celebrating 
this great, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You see, about 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah shared this exciting news that someone important was on their way. And as we consider and we look at Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we look at Simeon. For many years, followers of God were anticipating the mighty king prophesied by Isaiah and others, someone who would be their savior. And this person, Simeon, was waiting on it. And it says this in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was a righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace. As you prophesied, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to the people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and told his mother, Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Can you imagine Simeon, just an ordinary guy, but God singled him out? I like to imagine God was so excited to share the gift that was coming, that God wanted to hurry up and share the secret with someone. And here it is, Simeon is, is, is telling the world, this child is going to be a special child. He's going to be special for us. I ask you this question as we consider our lives, and we consider the hardships that we are going through. You know, we consider what we have been through in this last year with Hurricane Dorian and other things. I want you to think of all these years of hardships, but think about it. Israel had been through many hardships. They had many hardships. They had war, captivity, and oppression. Israel still had the hope of their long-awaited Prince of Peace. You see, we need to understand today that we have this Prince of Peace and we know and we see in the scripture, we know the greatest gift is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I actually, as we think of this Advent season, we think about the preparing and coming for Jesus. I ask you, how are you preparing yourself to receive this gift? How do you prepare yourself to receive this gift of Advent of, of the, the Son, the Savior, Jesus Christ? You see, we need to understand that some of us who are listening to this, we need to embrace God's gift for the first time. This means that you need to be ready to accept. You need Jesus. You need to understand that God loves you. And you need to understand that Jesus was willing to offer his own life to save the life of every human. For those who have listened to this broadcast and you've already accepted that free gift of salvation, I want you to understand that you need to remember what God has already done for you. You need to look forward to what God might want you to do in your present. And the question you may have now is this. Now what? What does God want me to do? What is God calling me to do during this Advent season? You know, as a young person listening to the broadcast, if you think of your life, you think of this time, and, and I know as you listen to this, you know, the exams are getting ready to start and different things. But remember that you have a hope. You have a God who is there. You have a Savior, Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. 
you have a, you know, these things that we think of are so stressful today, they're going to eventually pass away. But the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is something that's going to last forever because he is the everlasting father. So I want to challenge you as we kick off this Advent season, we kick off this Advent, these messages. I want us to unwrap this whole concept of not the something, the gift, but the someone that we anticipate, the one that came to this earth to die for us. And as we think of this and we look at it right before Christmas, we're going to talk about the salvation that he has given us, the hope that we have. So how do we and what do we do with what we have? What do we know? You see, the reality of all this is this. When we have a gift, we don't want to keep that gift. If we had a cure for the world to, to cure cancer, we wouldn't want to keep that to ourselves. But we would want to share it and give it to someone. So I ask us and challenge us this Christmas, what are we doing? What are we doing during this Advent season? Are we saying to ourselves, I want to share this gift? And we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week as we talk about what it truly means to share God's gift with others. I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast, and I hope that you tune in next week as we continue during this Advent season. Sit back, listen up for a short Christmas devotional we'd like to share with you. I have a Christmas devotional for you that uh, is a blessing to me. It's called The Folly of Christmas. It's written by Dr. Michael Svigel, Assistant Professor of Theological Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. The Folly of Christmas. When measured against the world's wisdom, the Christmas story sounds foolish. The eternal God becoming human makes less sense than a man becoming an ant. But if the nativity sounds absurd in 2015, you should have tried preaching it in the year 215. When ancient Christians insisted that the true God united with true humanity Folks would cringe. Spiritual divinity and fleshly humanity don't mix. Look at it from their perspective. Without access to modern hygiene and medicine, most people in the year 215 had a bleak perspective when it came to physical bodies and aging. Inevitable aging and untreatable diseases reminded them of human mortality. Everybody was sliding toward death. So why would the living God have anything to do with this mess? Yes, in the year 215, as in the year 2015, the words, the word became flesh, sounded like so much folly. Yet, Christians insisted on the folly of Christmas as true wisdom boldly proclaiming that the Holy God was born in a musty stable. In fact, in his defense of the Incarnation, written around the year 215, the Church Father Tertullian acknowledged that the Nativity frustrated the refined philosophers of his day. And this is what Tertullian wrote, quote, It is, of course, foolish if we are to judge God by our own conceptions, end of quote. 
So why would Christians in the year 215 live and die for such a far-fetched folly? Because it's true. Tertullian famously turned the tables on the folly of Christmas when he declared, the fact is certain because it is impossible. That's amazing. The fact is certain because it is impossible. In other words, no new religion with worldwide ambitions would make up something like the word became flesh. Yes, the incarnation takes the award for the most unbelievable religious claim. But isn't that the point? Isn't the foolishness of God wiser than man's wisdom? Isn't the weakness of God stronger than man's strength? So, here in 2015, embrace the folly of Christmas and troll those ancient carols with confidence. Let us pray. Lord, we thank and praise you for the miracle and the wonder of the unexpected of Christmas, that you would send your only son, Father, and that he would willingly come to be born of a woman, a virgin woman as a miracle, and then to take on humanity, to take on human body that could experience all the things that we do for the express purpose that Christ would lay down that human body in physical death for us, that he would shed his blood for sinners like all of us and would offer us the surety of forgiveness of our sins in heaven one day as grace gifts, grace gifts that can only be received by putting our full trust onto Christ alone, onto his person who he is, and unto his works, what he did. May every listener in the sound of my voice be trusting Christ alone this Christmas and therefore be saved, converted, born again. I ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Come join your voices with the heavenly song. Help send out the message that goes on and on. For what a story we have to share. Noel, born as the king of Israel. CBC United Choir invites you to join them in filling the air with The Worship of Christmas with special guest, world-renowned vocalist, Larry Ford. Join us as we celebrate the miraculous birth of the Messiah, our Savior, the Mighty God, Prince of Peace, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Don't miss The Worship of Christmas, a heartwarming and soul-stirring musical, Sunday, December 15th at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Bible Church on Collins Avenue. Admission is free. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper, and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support 
and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. 1 Corinthians 3.15 gives rise to this question. Is Paul suggesting that believers will experience the fires of purgatory before going to heaven? In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 13 to 15, Paul teaches that God will evaluate and reward the quality of each Christian's work. The results will entail both reward and loss, but Paul is quick to say that the loss will not endanger one's salvation. But what is the meaning of Paul's phrase, as though through fire? Is he referring to the fires of purgatory? Fire is used in Scripture as an image of judgment. Uh, Compare 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8. Passing through fire is indicative of a narrow escape. See Amos chapter 4 verse 11 and Zechariah chapter 3 verse 2. Paul uses the image of burning to refer to the testing of the believer's works. Worthless works will be burned up to the believer's loss. But no harm will come to the believer, although the experience is likened to a narrow escape. Note Paul's use of the word as, Greek, hos. Paul is not saying that the believer passes through fire. His warning is hypothetical. It is merely as if this were the case. The doctrine of purgatory is based on the apocryphal book of 2 Maccabees, which was never accepted by Judaism or by the New Testament writers as inspired. 2 Maccabees chapter 12, verses 44 to 45, commends prayers and sacrifices for the dead so that they might be released from their sins. But Christ has paid the full and final sacrifice for sins. See Hebrews 1, verse 3, and Hebrews 10, verse 14. There is no biblical basis for purgatorial suffering for sins before entering heaven. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas And remember everyone needs a savior.